What's going on, everybody? Uh, Rory Kelsey here back with the uh, second episode of Rory Kelsey's Therapy Sessions. Uh, tonight, I am uh, joined by my buddy, Connor. Uh, Connor and I uh, have known each other for about a year now. Uh, we'll get into our, our background, where we met, uh, where our friendships, uh, how it started, and um, how we're doing with our journey in life. And uh, also, uh, this past Labor Day weekend, I spent uh, my most of the weekend, if I wasn't working, I was at home, I, I finished up all 11 hours and 21 minutes of the Lord of the Rings Extended uh, Trilogy. So, uh, Connor, I believe, is a bigger Lord of the Rings fan than me. I don't know for sure. I guess we'll have to wait and see. So we're going to de- uh, dive deep into that a little bit. Um, and then uh, just to see where everybody's at, see where I'm at, see where Connor's at. We haven't really touched base in a minute, so uh, we'll get into that. So, But first thing I want to uh, I want to talk about something that uh, I want to talk about last week, but I really didn't get to it because I was just kind of making an intro about me. But uh, first thing, I just want to uh, I want to recognize uh, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, if anybody doesn't know, Chadwick Boseman is a uh, an actor who has portrayed uh, T'Challa in Black Panther. He played James Brown in the biopic. He played Jackie Robinson. Uh, he played Vontaze Davis in Draft Day, an unknown movie that people don't know about. Um, and he also played Thurgood Marshall in a movie. So uh, the man, uh, the man was a phenomenal actor. He was great at what he did. Every every role that he took on, he uh, encapsulated it into something great. Um, unbeknownst to us in the world, he uh, withheld the fact that he was struggling from or suffering rather from uh, prostate cancer. Uh, he was diagnosed in 2016, and a couple weeks ago, I think it was like a week, actually no, last Friday came out that he uh, unfortunately passed away. So I just wanted to uh, give my respects to Chadwick and his family. And uh, uh, I know a lot of people deal with uh, loss in such a way with illnesses. So I know it's not easy for people to lose someone they love so dearly and someone for as Chadwick's status, who was beloved by a nation, by a world, by a universe for just being who he was. Um, Just want to just give a shout out to Chadwick and let him know that he is a hero to many and that he will never be forgotten. So um, here's to Chadwick. So, all right. Uh, like I said, my buddy Connor is with me. Uh, Connor, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing all right, Rory. How about yourself? I'm doing, I'm doing fine. I'm a little tired. I've been working nonstop, so my body's a little beat up, but no complaints here. Um, so yeah, Connor and I met, um, Towards the end of last year, and uh, we'll get into uh, where we met and why we met. Um, but I just, uh, I'll just let Connor uh, take the floor right now, just kind of give the lowdown on him and what he's all about. So, uh, what do you got for us, Connor? I mean, I'm I'm a warehouse worker by trade. I work at Nuco Incorporated up in Bolingbrook. I'm an amateur soccer player. I play in three different leagues. I am a avid soccer fan, avid sports fan, just in general. Um, as Rory said, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I have a tattoo and Elvish on my arm just to show kind of where I stand on that. I have seen, as Rory said, the uh, the extended versions as he watched. I've seen those multiple times. And I probably could name those movies line for line. Um, I, My girlfriend and I just had a baby girl seven months ago. She is the little light of my life, and I love her to pieces, so... That's just kind of where I'm at and uh, where I stand for and 
uh, how I know Rory is, you know, we'll get into that in a minute. So. Yeah. So uh, how's fatherhood treating you, man? I haven't really talked to you since you've had your girl. So how's everything going with her? Is everything good? How it's a ride. It's a, it's really a ride. I mean, she's starting to get her own little personality and how she acts and what little things she does that just kind of brighten up my life and make it a little bit more bearable and, you know, make it, make it easier to go to work every day and say, and say to myself, I have, I have something to strive for now. I have something to, to really wrap my head around and get behind and, you know, push towards excellence. Yeah, man. I mean, I got two kids of my own and yeah, they, uh, it's crazy, right? Like before you have the kids, you're just this, you feel like you have, you're, you get, you got nothing to worry about and you're just like this careless person. And then all of a sudden you're holding this little eight pound, whatever ounce thing and you're like i will do anything for this little human and uh it's just crazy it's it's definitely a crazy ride like you said and just watching him grow up how old is she now she's gonna be eight months and a week and a half so i mean it's she's blind she's crawling she's crawling pretty good she hasn't started crawling yet she gets the backwards portion she knows how to go backwards but not go quite forwards in that direction yeah so She's it, it, yeah, it'll happen, bro. Like with my kids, like I remember my first one, he would like army crawl, like literally would like crawl on his forearms. <laughs> and then like just all of a sudden one day he was all up on all fours and then he was and then uh the second one he would like lay on his back and scoot backwards, like he would push his feet off the ground, like his heels of his feet off the ground, and that's how he would get around. I'm like, dude, you know if you just flipped over you could make it a lot easier on yourself. But usually around like eight, nine months is when like eight, nine, ten months they'll start crawling. And then before you know it, they'll be walking and uh, going to kindergarten and you want to cry a little bit because they grow up so fast. Well, I'm, I was going to say, I haven't gone to the to that portion yet. I'm, I'm hoping I've got a, at least another couple of years. But yeah, yeah. Well, shoot, my baby is about to be two years old in January. It's crazy to me, man. It just it really flies by, but it really is worth it just watching them grow up and they like you said they get their personalities and it's like you're trying to pinpoint where they get their uh, sassiness and their their brattiness from it's like which parent did that come from yeah that's that's definitely my girlfriend i'm gonna yeah, throw right. that out there now my you know my girlfriend is 100 percent mexican and i you know she gets her my little girl gets her looks from me but got her <laughs> oh god got her mama's attitude and i i love it i think it's i think it's great because she she does these little things to to kind of get at me and I'm like, well, that definitely, okay. Now I see where that comes from. That's definitely your mom. So, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, man, I'm not going to say anything cause my wife listens to my podcast. So I'm not gonna, <laughs> well, man, uh, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad your, uh, your daughter's doing good. You guys staying healthy for all the pandemic bullshit. Uh, we're doing our best. I mean, I've had, we've had a couple cases at my work, um, Ooh. But I've I've managed to stay clear. They're far away from me. They are, um, I mean, the company we work for is doing pretty good at keeping us away. And of course, my my girlfriend hasn't been working very much, so uh, she's been home with the baby a lot. So she's pretty well taken care of. But I've been doing my best to not bring home anything that might be, you know, that might be detrimental to that. So just trying to, I got myself tested, and you know got the swab put up my nose. So I, I came back negative. Thank God. 
but uh, I'm trying to just keep myself grounded and just keep myself moving as much as I can to kind of get past the pandemic. Good. Good. I, um, you mentioned to me a, a couple months ago, you said you were uh, thinking about going back to school. So how's that going with that? Um, I haven't been able to quite yet just because money's been kind of tight. So I'm sure. still waiting on that, but I am planning on going back in January and I've got kind of a new direction I want to go in. I want to try and be a, a sports analyst and go from there and try and break down soccer because I've found that, you know, as much as I love teaching people about stuff, it, it really comes down to the fact that I can't separate myself from soccer and it, it has become a very big part of not just me, but my personality and my life of course. And yeah. talking to people about it. I love explaining it. So I feel like might as well move in the direction that I follow something that I love and I follow my two passions in life, which is analysis and soccer. So we well, got the voice for it. I always said ever since I met you that you had like this very prominent voice very bolsterous voice so definitely have a voice for uh sports talk but uh real question though how long can you hold the note for when someone scores a goal like how long can you scream goal before your lungs collapse oh and i'm i'm only at like probably the two minute mark i mean i oh damn i i can hold it for a while but it it doesn't it doesn't go over well i have oh. i have friends of mine that can hold it for longer so really oh yeah well well, you got something to work on then. Yeah. I, I, that'll probably be one of the final exams. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> oh, man, that's cool, man. So, uh, so yeah, Lord of the Rings, man. Uh, I just got done. I finished up Return of the King this morning. Um, gets me every time. It's just something about that ending. It's just, uh, especially when you just, when you marathon it back to back to back, just, uh, it's like watching. Uh, I thought of it as like a, like a TV show. Like it's almost like a TV show because you know it's eleven hours long. That's like a whole season of one show. Right. And it's like you just binge watch the entire season in a weekend, and now it's done. It's over. You know, and you know you get those feelings when you finish a show or a book or a movie or something. And you don't know what to do with your life, and it happens to me every time I watch Lord of the Rings because it's like I just spent eleven hours on this journey you know, adventuring middle earth. And now I have to go back to this normal regular earth and it's boring, you know? So it's, uh, it's just, um, uh, man, it's one of those things. What, uh, did, how old were you when uh, Lord of the Rings came out? You were, uh, Oh years, God. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit older than you are. So let's see. I'm, I was 10, I think I was in fifth grade. Yeah. I remember my, yeah. I remember my uncle, my dad and I went to go see that movie in the theaters, the fellowship of the ring. The first one. Yeah. And I remember I had never, I had read the Hobbit. I had read that book. and I had seen like the animated version of the Hobbit, which, it, which if you have not seen, it's out there and you all need to go and watch that because <laughs> to me, it's like a rite of passage. But um, I was, yeah, I was 10 and I remember one of the first thing, of course, one of the first scenes of the movie that you see is, you know, they're giving the rings to the elves, the dwarves, and of course to the men. And then it shows the battle on the slopes of Mount Doom, where it's just the orcs. Oh yeah. I remember being 10 years old and sitting in my seat and going, what in God's good name are those? Yeah. And Terrible. I remember the scene where Elrond's standing in front of all these guys who have these massive bladed spears 
and you see the orcs rushing at them and he yells out orders in Elvish and all of a sudden they just start cutting down the orcs. I'm like, okay, suddenly this line, yeah. This movie yep, suddenly this movie rings well. And from there my my love for the franchise blossomed. I mean, I it was one of those things where it's it's one of those things where you pick it up when you're young and you experience it more because I was again, I was what, twelve when the two towers came out and then I was 13 or 14 when the Lord, when the return of the King happened and it, it just kind of happened at the right moment in my childhood where I was like, you know, yeah, I, I was able to pick up on um, these movies define a lot of things for me. Like, for example, you don't leave your friends in the, in the midst of a heated moment. You stick to your guns and you continue on no matter what. And that's, what led to a lot of things later in my life, like for example, getting the tattoo that I have number one and number two, I mean, I, I still watch those movies to this day and I still get emotional. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, for me, um, I was, I had to been eight years old because it came out in 01, 02 and 03. So I was eight, nine and 10 years old when they came out. I saw the first one at home. Uh, my sister was actually the fan. She read the books and uh, she was the one that brought it home. And I watched it and I'm like, this is awesome. And then I saw the two towers and uh, Return of the King in theaters. And uh, yeah, like you said, I was just hooked. Everything about it. I mean, I had no idea what the hell was going on. It took me like till a uh, older age to understand the story of it and the premise and what the hell the, what was going on. But as a kid, just seeing that action, just seeing the the emotion, the just the the cinematography. Like even as a young kid, you understand like what you're watching is beautiful. And um, I compare it, my connection to Lord of the Rings. I compare it to somebody who was my age in 1977 who saw Star Wars for the first time. It's the same thing. Lord of the Rings is my Star Wars. I I wasn't around for the original star wars but i was around for the original lord of the rings and it's just something i get to just watch for the rest of my life because you know what it's been 20 years the shit still holds up like i'm watching it this weekend yeah you can see there's some some rather glaring cgi moments but like the cinematography the costume design the practical effects all of it it's gonna hold on it's gonna hold up for the test of time and it's just something that i can carry on with me and then uh Actually, it was really cool. My uh, my oldest kid was sitting with me on the couch this morning, like watching, um, watching the great battle of uh, Mysteria, and it was great because I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. My kid, he's he's watching Lord of the Rings with me. This is something that I've only ever dreamed of. But then he kept asking me question after question after question after question after question after question, and it got to the point where I was like, dude, I love you, but please shut up. Right. <laughs> but you know what? It was just the fact that he like sat down and was like. He wasn't scared. Um, I thought he would be afraid of Gollum. He wasn't. <laughs> he, was, he was just like, Daddy, why is that naked guy there? What's, what, is that naked guy a bad guy? He's a bad guy. And then like, I started to explain to him everything. And I explained to him the ring and how it was evil. And like uh, he, I think, I mean, he's five now. Next year, he'll be six. So maybe next year or the year after, he'll start to join me on my Labor Day weekend uh, tradition of watching the the movies and i can pass it on to him just like guys kids who watch uh, star wars passed on that to their kids and they grew up to be 
huge nerds and wasted all their money on collectibles and figures and well and then also and then also just like the the star wars people when they got older they had the prequels to cry about and same with us we saw lord of the rings and we got older and had the hobbits to cry about so it's almost it's very eerie how similar those two movie franchises are with um generations you know i agree and i as speaking as someone who had no problem with the with the hobbit sequels i think they were from the standpoint of the, of the person who read the book and knew the history of middle earth going into those movies they they hold weight but not as much as lord of the rings lord of the no. lord of the rings i feel stick closer to the book they are closer yeah, to absolutely. they are much closer to what tolkien had in mind and I think had Tolkien been alive today, he would actually uh, really have enjoyed watching those movies. And uh, speaking of that also, you know, I this is uh, another thing. I sat down and watched it with my girlfriend recently, and this was her first time watching those movies. And just like your little guy, she had a million and one questions, one of which, mm-hmm. how do they know they're in Middle Earth? But I had to had to ignore that one because, frankly, even I didn't know how to answer that one. <laughs> so I, is there a is there an outside earth I don't, I don't understand right and that's and that's the question i got so i'm like you know what we're gonna skip that question over but uh she got a kick out of them too she we actually watched all of the hobbit and then we watched all of lord of the rings just so oh it had some continuity to it and she could see like what was going on in each movie and uh Speaking frankly, as a like as an outside observer from watching Star Wars too, you know you can see I guess trace elements of the CGI that made Star Wars so great brought into Lord of the Rings, and feel like Lord of the Rings actually made itself even better by you know some of the stuff they did like the Battle of Minas Tirith as you mentioned, um, the Battle at Helm's Deep, which I think is one best movie scenes of all time and today to this day the or the side of the urukai coming down the valley into helm's deep still scares the shit out of me oh yeah and then um i mean the scenes of the massive wizard fight they have at orthanc where gandalf and and uh saruman battle each other and you know the the best part about that scene to me is you you imagine them hitting each other because you see the staffs flying back and forth, yeah, yeah. But but they never actually physically hit each other. It's all just magic and it's all magical powers and stuff like that. It's it's awesome. Just the element of imagination that comes with it. Just how one man just came up with all of this he came up with the universe the characters the the language he created an entire language that needed a translator on set like tolkien just killed it with this and i think he just set the bar for any writer of any kind of genre you know like he just when did the hobbit come out 37 i think it was when the book or sometime in the 30s when the hobbit was released right. and then i think the, the Lord of the Rings came out in like the 50s and then he just kind of went off from there. But <clears throat> I mean, yeah, you got your Mark Twain's and your guys before him. But I mean, I don't think there would be a Star Wars without Lord of the Rings. I I mean, I know Star Wars went straight to the movies, but 
who knows if George Lucas ever would have had the inspiration for Star Wars had he not ever read Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? Well, and, and to go off of that, too, I mean, you look at how many franchises have, have come off of Lord of the Rings. I mean, look at um, look at Game of Thrones. Oh, God, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. Game of Thrones. I mean, looking especially at Game of Thrones, George R.R. R. Martin built, essentially did what Tolkien did. He built a, an entire world off of the back of an idea. And yeah. I, I think that Tolkien, I think that Tolkien in his in his prime thought to himself, like I'll sell maybe, you know, a few thousand copies of this book, but it's never going to be huge. And now it's blossomed into this absolutely massive underground community, which has its own language, like you said, in Tengwar and in Elvish and, in, yep. and you could argue practically in black speech. Um, <laughs> you could say that it's, it's fandom spreads everywhere. You can go to, you know, Australia, you can go to Asia, you can go to Europe. And if you say you like Lord of the Rings, then people know what you're talking about. And, you know, a huge shout out to, to Peter Jackson for making these, for making the movies really come to life and really, really set the record straight with, you know, this is what the universe looked like and how it's been brought to life since. Yeah. I mean, I think Jackson even said in, the, in, in, in an interview, years ago like he remembers reading the books as a kid and he's like man i can't wait till somebody makes this into a movie he's like i don't know how they're going to be able to he's like but i can't wait and he ends up being the guy and man i don't know there's something something magical with these movies just everything about it i mean i think it has a record for most oscar wins off a movie franchise in history i mean it's three movies but they had like like 50 something Oscars or 40 something Oscar wins and like, who knows how many nominations, like it's insane. It's just absolutely insane that that came out in 2001, two and three. When anytime you watch it, it seems like it just came out last week. Well, and for one, for the time frame that you're looking at, you're looking at the early two thousands for not just for, for, um, for the timeline of these coming out in, you know, they put them out within three years of each other, but looking at the CGI, I'm going to go, I'm going to keep going back to this because I feel like this is one of the most talked about things about Lord of the Rings is the fact that the CGI for Lord of the Rings at the time that you're talking about in 2001, 2002, 2003 was unprecedented. Some of the stuff that, that Lucas and his CGI team did with, you know, making these cities come to life and making, the story essentially come to life was phenomenal. I mean, they built, they literally built these, they built the Hobbiton by itself in New Zealand. They yep. built Aderas, like Aderas by itself in New Zealand. They built a miniature of Humsey, but they made it look like it was so much bigger by yep. making it, by casting it, you know, in the movie. And the, the same with Minas Tirith. I mean, Minas Tirith, when you see it for the first time, you're like, this is amazing. This is exactly how you made it sound in the book. Yeah. And the the other thing that made that movie, that makes those movies so great and so believable is the casting. Whoever, yeah. whoever did the casting for all three of those movies deserved the Oscar that they got because there is nobody that you could have picked to take the role of Gandalf than Ian McKellen. Yeah. 
there is nobody who would fit the role of Samwise better than Sean. No. And there's nobody who played Aragorn better, in my opinion, yeah. than Viggo Mortensen. The best. Oh, man. I know. Did you know Did you know that they offered Sean Connery the role for Gandalf, like, off the bat? Oh, yeah. And, he, and then he turned it down because he thought it was too childish and he didn't think it was going to be any good or successful or something. Yeah, well, you know, this is the same, Thank God. This is the same guy that stopped being James Bond. So, plus... This is accurate. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine Sean Connery as Gandalf? No, like, I I feel I feel his Scottish accent in my bones. It would, because you know he wouldn't have dropped it. It would have just been straight Sean Connery. Exactly. Oh, it, such times. Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't even imagine. No. I think Ian McKellen, He was a he was a he was a Broadway theater actor. And my think about it. Like I think the the only real big name when those movies came out was Chris Lee. Everybody else were just kind of no names or up and coming or theater people and. Well, Sean Astin had been in like a couple. Of- oh, he was in Rudy and the Goonies and stuff, but yeah. So I guess Sean Astin and but Christopher Lee, like yeah, he was Dracula and. Yeah. Um, Sean, and he's the only guy that actually knew Tolkien, and he wanted to play Gandalf, but they're like, "You're a bad guy, though. Like you, that's who you are. You have to be a bad guy." Agreed. Like, All right. All right, I guess. Well, and well, and Sean Bean, who played Boromir in Fellowship of the Ring, was a pretty well-known actor. I will. Yeah. Was it was an A-list, but he was he was good. Right. Elijah Wood was up and coming. Billy yeah. Boyd was up and coming. Um, but yeah, you know what I mean. It's not like they casted like Leonardo DiCaprio as Frodo, and you know, like. Like like Al Pacino or Robert De Niro. It's not like they got like huge premier actors, you know. They just kind of they just went out and they got who they thought was best for the role. Probably the cheaper option as well. But you know, they they killed it. They knocked it out of the park. I don't think they could have gotten anybody else better. Well, it's it's like it's like a lot of it's not like a lot of movies, but I would say that it's the perfect example of a lot of small pieces coming together in. A very big way. I mean, look at Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson was a no name before this, before these movies came out. He hadn't really directed anything of direct note. He had been, you know, the director of some small indie films, but he had never gotten anything big off the ground. And then he comes along with this idea of let's bring these books to life and let's make this fandom bigger than it is. And he absolutely he brought together people that he thought were going to get the job done. And they did an absolutely phenomenal job. He put his faith in the right people, put his faith in a young Elijah Wood to play, you know, a very, I wouldn't say naive, but if you look at like the character that Frodo is where he's, um, pardon me, he's naive, but he's, but by the end of the journey, he's become this sort of, you know, I'm okay on the outside, but I'm, I'm battling something on the inside sort of character that it sort of becomes in the books. You see Elijah Wood, I think, develop that over time just being on set because he sees Frodo's progression in the movie going from this young, naive, sort of no problems having young Hobbit to suddenly by the end of the journey, he's just physically and mentally and spiritually exhausted. Mm-hmm. So much that he can't even live a normal life anymore. Right, and he has to go to the Grey Havens because he he can't find peace in the Shire anymore. When you when the one place that he called home isn't even home anymore, 
mm-hmm. then he had to he had to leave with Bilbo. God, such a good story. God, I love it. I just love the the movies, the books, the the universe, everything. I just love it. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna start. I don't know if I'll read the the Lord of the Rings books again, but I'll. I definitely want to get back into Tolkien's diary of book collection, his book collection, just because the guy just he knows how to encapsulate an audience. You know what I mean? Well, have you read the Silmarillion yet? I'm just. I literally was looking online. I was going to order it because I haven't read it yet, and I want to. I've always been meaning to, but I just never got to it. Just be just be warned. It's the language they use in the Silmarillion is even like more old than they use in the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's it's some really strong stuff. Like I tried to read yeah. it when I was probably I don't know. I think I was eighteen at the time, and. Like I, I got through like the first couple of chapters, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't manage my way through the rest of the book. So I, I will be the first to admit, and my friends who were Lord of the Rings fans will absolutely hate me for for saying this, but I, I haven't gotten through the rest of it yet. I'm still like ankle deep in it, and I'm trying to understand the language of it more than anything else. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, I was actually going to um, recommend, if you haven't done it already, or to anybody else who wants to watch the watch the movies, I highly recommend watching it with the subtitles on. I agree. Trust me, like I started doing it a couple years ago, it just makes the movie so much better because you you really you can pick, you can finally figure out exactly everything that they're saying, and you nitpick every little thing and. You can see it, and it's clear, and you know what they're saying. Even if it is in this really old English, you understand what they're saying because you can read it. It's right there. And I just, I know people don't want to read when they're watching a movie. Whatever. I watch every movie, and ask Melissa, she fucking hates it. I watch everything with subtitles on. I, I don't have the best of hearing as it is, so reading with subtitles is just how I do things. But Lord of the Rings, hundred percent recommend with the subtitles. You'll just appreciate the movies so much more. I, I can concur with that because. There are, there are some things that Gandalf says in the movie that I I watched it with subtitles on with my girlfriend as well and because she likes watching movies with the subtitles on. So when we watched it with the subtitles on, there were some things where I'm like, Really? He says it like that? Yeah, right. I had to I had to do a couple of double takes and say to myself, like, oh my god, he actually does say that like that. And it, it took me aback a little bit because I, here I was. I'm like, oh my god! I thought he said that in that scene instead of right, exactly. Instead of oh my god, this is completely different than I than I initially thought. This is fantastic. Yep. Actually, um, it wasn't until I started watching them with the subtitles that the scene where the Riders of Rohan are about to come down on the Battle of Gondor mm-hmm. when. Aiden King's given his uh, pregame speech, which, by the way, was fucking awesome, where he starts screaming death. I didn't know that's what he was saying until I started reading it with the subtitles. I thought he was just saying, like, die, like, making a loud chanting noise. I thought he was saying day, like, daylight. Something, but, but then I, he's saying death, and I'm like, oh, my God, that makes it so much better. Like... This like literally, he's just telling thousands of people like, "Hey, we're all gonna go die, and we have nothing to hold back, so we might as well just go slaughter these dudes." And like, how intimidating that is! And then it just gives his spoiler alert. It gives his uh, his 
ending to his movie uh, time just more meaning because of how he came into that battle. Well, so like, yeah, like watch them with the subtitles. I know reading sucks when you're trying to watch a movie, but trust me, it'll, it'll just make your experience so much better. Well, and you know, they, they picked again, this is going back to the casting, but they, they couldn't have picked anybody better to deliver those lines than the guy who played Thaden. I forget it. I forget his name, but they, they did that extremely well as well. And, you know, props to whoever, whoever wrote that scene or ever made that scene happen because when you when you read that scene in the books there's really no fan there's like a, you hear a horn that the that the Rohan are coming but there's no speech that Theoden gives there's no there's nothing to to say that Theoden rides in with you know with the riders like that he doesn't yeah. doesn't appear over a hill they just come riding in mm-hmm. slaughter the orcs and drive them back but it, it sets up the the it sets up that scene in the movie so very well, especially the scene where again, as you said, spoiler alert, you know, it's the scene where they ride in and they're doing extremely well and they're riding down everything in their path, and then all of a sudden these friggin' Mumakil appear out of nowhere. Oh, the elephants! Yeah, the 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 elephants just appear out of nowhere, and, yeah, and start mauling them. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, by the way, the guy's name is Bernard Hill, who plays Thaden. Um, yeah, it's just how that movie, that movie is just like a roller coaster, man. You're like up, you're down, you're up, you're down, you're upside down, you're going straight, you're doing, it's like, it's crazy. Like, you're exhausted. You're literally exhausted by the end of it because you're like, you're in it. You're, you're part of this journey. You're almost walking next to them. You're traveling Middle Earth with these guys. And by, by the time you're done, you're just like, I'm just sitting on my couch and I'm just like, golly. Like, I got shit to do today, and I don't want to do a thing. Because, like, I'm just... I just fucking killed Sauron. Like, I don't want to do anything. Like, God. Well, yeah, and you just... And, you know, there's a part in the... There's a part in The Return of the King, which I absolutely love, because it's... It's Aomer, Theoden's nephew. And he's standing, and here he's riding his horse in front of the Mumakil that are coming at them. Mm-hmm. And he looks one of their riders dead in the eye, and he just launches this spear... You know, takes the guy through the midsection, and he ends up you know, like downing yeah. with it. And I remember watching that a couple times. I'm like, that is absolutely friggin' awesome. The first time I saw it, I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And then everybody likes to point out that Legolas, you know, took down one of them while running up its back. I'm like, yeah, but see, that's <laughs> cool though. You know, Legolas is an elf. That's that's what he's supposed to do. Yeah, this, I get it. My man Aylmer, so yeah, my man Aylmer is out here on a horse, you know, riding almost bareback, lifts a spear and then throws it like an Olympic javelin athlete. Yeah. Spears some dude and takes out two gigantic creatures. Like, yeah. That's badass. I yeah, I remember that scene. I remember I every time I see it, I always think it's so fucking cool because for one, Carl Urban is the man. I fucking love that guy. Everything he's ever done. Um Fucking season two of the boys is coming out. Can't wait. Side note. Um, but you know what? Like Legolas, though, like he's just the, he's the dopest guy in the whole trilogy. Like everything he does, you're just like, God damn, that's fucking dope. Like, yeah, taking down the only font when he like fucking just strung back the three arrows and just blasted him in the head and just sliding down his trunk, laying on his feet. And he's just like, huh, 
like meh just shrugs it off like no big deal or like when he fucking slid down the stairs with the shield and he's fucking laying out guys with arrows and then he stabs a guy oh my god like the dude's just dope everything like he's not he's not my favorite character by any means because like his personality is pretty much just nothing but his battle his fighting scenes and his his battle scenes are just one to fucking just live by you know well, and do you remember the part in the two towers where they're facing the wargs for the wolves come to take on, to take down the caravan? Uh, yeah, and he has to. He's like shooting arrows, and then he like does some fucking weird matrix shit to get on his horse. Is what he just you know grabs the horse by the neck, whips up, <laughs> whips up yeah. Gimli, which you know I'm thinking from Gimli's perspective, sitting in horseback, he's probably going, "Did this son of a bitch just vault me?" <laughs> Like, did, like, why did he even need to get on the horse? He's fucking faster than those horses. He could have just ran over there. Right. He's already he's already got everything so well attuned that he's because he's an elf. And elves in any in any game in any you know fantasy world, elves are overpowered. And I'm yes. going to say this for Warcraft. I'm going to say this for Warhammer. I'm going to say this for. Dungeons and Dragons for any fantasy world out there, elves are overpowered, and and for the simple reason that they are because they're enchanted or magical or something. But Legolas is the perfect example of OP. The man's overpowered. Yeah, has he's like he's got amazing dexterity. He's got you know ten out of ten super, reflexes. He's got super strength. He can. He's like light as a feather. So like you know the scene in the Fellowship where they're walking the mountain, everybody's right. trapped in yeah. the snow, and he's just like walking on top of it. Yeah, and that that part always sends me because I'm like, he. Oh, and by the way, he he's never gonna die because he's immortal. Yeah, I, yeah, elves are. I think that's another reason too. It's like the Superman complex. Like I just can't fall for Superman because it's like he literally has every superpower and it's just boring. Well, at least like 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 I said, his personality sucks, but his battles are dope and. He's just like he's the guy that you played with in the video games because he had dual swords and he was awesome with the bow. But like he's like, like I'm like, yo, he's not my Aragorn. You know what I mean? No, Aragorn. Aragorn takes the cake for me as well because Aragorn's story arc is just that much better. Yeah, because they could do a whole series about Aragorn, they, and I hope they don't, but they could. They actually are. There's a there's <sighs> there's supposedly a plan in the works by Amazon yeah. to make a series about young Aragorn. I know they're making a prequel Lord of the Rings show. I, God, I hate that. I don't. I don't need to see it. I just don't want to. Because, see, here's my thoughts about it. I think that they could do great things about about Aragorn or even the War in the North. Because uh, this may be something that a couple of people who are listening out there know, or maybe not. But uh, during the War of the Ring, there was actually a war fought. In the very north, in the very north as well, when the Easterlings and a band of orcs from the Misty Mountains tried to invade Esgaroth, they tried to invade the Lonely Mountain. Yeah, and you know the kingdom under the mountain resisted and literally held off the orcs until the last last hour when Sauron was defeated, and basically drove them back all the way to the Misty Mountains. And it's like I've read the like some of the lore about it and it's amazing. Like it's, it's really, really good. 
And the the best part about it is Bard from the from the Hobbit, whom some of you may recognize the name. His great great grandson actually ends up dying in the battle because he's the king of Dale at the time. Mm-hmm. And Gimli's cousin, who I believe is Dane's great grandson, ends up be ends up like literally killing all these orcs trying to get to the body of his friend, who's Bard's great great grandson. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because. Uh... I always wondered, like, why, why are the dwarves, like, where the hell are the dwarves during all this? And actually, in the extended version, there's, like, a throwaway, like, throwaway line that if you don't, if you're not paying attention, you miss it. But Gimli says something that if he had, like, an army of dwarves that he'd be able to, you know, take it out, take out the army in a, in a day or something like that. He said, it's Gimli. He's talking shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the elves, I forgot who it was. I forgot which elf it was, but they, they just said, like, all oh, the dwarves have this war is not for them. They have wars elsewhere. And that's what you're talking about right now. Is, so that's why the dwarves were there. It's just like one of those, those quick. It's a screenplay trick. You just got to like when somebody's like finds a plot hole, you're like, hey. And they're like, they just got to like add in a fucking line of dialogue. And they're like, oh, no, here, that that explains it. So please shut up. Right. Well, and, and may I also add that the. The part in the extended versions that I appreciated the most was where they did the the scene under the mountain where Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas go through the Path of the Dead. Yeah. Because that scene right there is just like how they wrote it in the book. Yep. Oh, God, yeah. And it, it makes me, it made me like, it made me go through the, it made me go through the book again to make sure. But I had, but once I did, I'm like, I'm really glad I did this because it makes me appreciate the fact that Jackson not only took the time to do that in the movie, but the time, but he actually took the time to make the extended versions for the for the phone for the fan culture itself. It's one of those things, like, like I'm, I, you know, I'm a big comic book guy. I have no problems that the movies are so different from the comics. Like, they, they, they base stuff off of comics. They might go with storylines, even titles of comics, but it's never, like, the exact, like, word-for-word, picture-by-picture type of thing. But what Jackson did with Lord of the Rings, it was just, like, he literally just, like, took the book and, like, just somehow magically threw it up on a movie screen. And I applaud the man and everybody else that was involved with it. Just kind of... I don't think it's ever going to be duplicated. I mean... Marvel's got their universe going on with the MCU and everything, but Lord of the Rings was three movies. Marvel's at 20, you know? So Lord of the Rings did in three movies what TV shows can't even encapsulate in five or six seasons. Like, it's insane. Well, I mean, how much, how long did Game of Thrones run for? I think it was eight seasons. Yeah. So then that makes complete sense. With, With Lord of the Rings... And I think it's I think it is something to say that number one, George R. R. Martin has written a lot more books than than Tolkien did, but I don't think they're the same caliber. In, no, God no. You know, having seen the for having seen all the seasons of Game of Thrones, I can say that, you know, maybe George R. R. Martin dipped a little bit more into the into the monotony of just kind of being a royal and how how royal has changed. Wrote 
basis about how battles can change regimes and how good or evil and how things kind of go after that. But I think he managed to cover that broader spectrum by just writing how he did and by how, and Peter mm-hmm. Jackson did a great job covering all that base by directing and making these books come to life. Absolutely. All right, man, I'm going to, I got some, I'm going to, I'm going to throw out some spitfire questions for you. I just want you to answer them real quick. No thought. Just first thing that pops in your mind. All right. Go for it. Favorite movie of the three. Oh, return of the King. Favorite character. Aragorn. Least favorite character. Mm, Gollum. Gollum. That's interesting. Why Gollum? Okay. Gollum. I have always found Gollum's character in the movies to be to be a bit apprehensible because okay. Gollum is a victim of his own choices. Absolutely. And and while that makes him more human, which I completely understand, which I understand he's, you know, but he is a victim of his own choices. You know, he made the decision to murder his cousin. He made the decision to take the ring. Yeah. He, made, he made all those choices because he got greedy. And he's People will argue that Gollum is for mankind and how sometimes those choices with with being cast out from our social circle or or being an outcast from the world in general. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I fail to see that because he's he delves too deep and he's he's the victim of his own upset unhealthy obsession with the ring. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. And I think uh I think um Gollum is a, a great like manifestation of like almost like an addiction, you know, like someone who might be addicted to like heroin or like gambling or an alcoholic or someone who has a like a sex addiction. Like it's just one of those things where it's your own fault. Like nobody forced him to take the ring nobody forced you to start whatever and then it just snowballs and it just gets worse and worse and 400 years later you're this scrawny gangly looking whatever the hell he is and he never finds happiness until he finally gets his fix until he gets his ring back and it literally he's falling to his death and he knows it but he doesn't care because he has his ring and it's like that's like a a great depiction of of what an, uh, an addiction can do to somebody, and you you want to feel sorry for the guy, but you got to remember that, yeah, like you said, he 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 did it to himself. Well, and the thing is too, you'll note the scene at the end, at the very end of Return of the King, where Gollum bites off Frodo's finger after Frodo did pretty much everything to help him. He did everything to help him. He believed him over Salver Samwise, his own best friend, mm-hmm. and took his side. And how did Gollum repay him? He turns his he turns on his turns on his own master, well master, and lied. right and turns <clears throat> turns on Frodo and literally takes his own finger and and the ring in the process. Yep. So it it kind of sets up that metaphor for me of you know Gollum is the perfect example of an addict because as you as you said like you turn out to, first of all you turn yourself into this scrawny gangly whatever the hell you are, but you also end up 
you know, doing anything and literally anything to get that fix. But then also they show that as well with Bilbo, but Bilbo was the addict that realized he had a problem and realized he had to stop and realized he had to get help. So what did he do? He, he dropped the ring. He dropped the needle. He, he went to Rivendell or an addict could go to rehab. Like he, he did what he had to do to get better. So it's like two of the same with two completely different outcomes because of choices they made. You know what I mean? Yes. And I think it's just beautifully depicted between the two. And that's why The Hobbit, the story of The Hobbit, was so great. Because Bilbo is such an intriguing character. And, uh, yeah, I, I see where it comes from. Go. All right, so I got, like, two or three more um, Spitfire questions, and then we can move on. Yeah. All right, so, dwarves or elves? Dwarves. Favorite battle scene? Ooh, Minas Tirith. Uh, from Return of the King? Yes. All right. And then, last question, doesn't have to be Spitfire, you can elaborate on it, but I want to know your thoughts on it, because I have my opinion on it. What do you think of the fan theory saying that the the Fellowship should have just taken the Eagles to Mordor? Oh my god, I've debunked this theory like four times. I, I swear to god, I know this pops up in circles, I know this yep. pops up, but I, it's such a lazy theory. It is. It's such, it's such a lazy theory. They could have just ridden the Eagles to, to Mordor. No, they couldn't have. Nope. Because the, the Nazgul would have been lying in wait for one. Number two, all it took was one slip up from Frodo to drop the to drop the ring and suddenly everything's lost. Number two. Number three, the Eye of Sauron would have seen them coming and they would have known they were coming and everything would have been thrown against them. You, you want to know my reasoning why I think it's stupid? Go for it. The Eagles would have killed Frodo and took the ring for themselves. The power of the ring is powerful over everybody. Look what it did to fucking Sam for like three seconds when he had it in his hand. You're telling me those Eagles, those Eagles who already were super powerful, were just carrying the ring of power and just because they're birds, they don't know. We have fucking walking and talking trees that know what the hell's going on. I think those Eagles would have killed Frodo and the rest, dropped him off, did whatever, and they would have taken the ring, and then they would have kept them for themselves. And I think Gandalf knew that, and that's why, and I think Elrond knew that, and that's why they had to form this fellowship. But then also, with Barmy attacking Frodo, Frodo and Frodo and Gladriel kind of told him that, like, hey, you're probably gonna have to go by yourself. After Barmir attacked him, he knew he's like, there's no fucking way nine people or eight people can be around me for how long I'm gonna be out on the road. And none of them are going to try to take this ring from me. It's that powerful. Absolutely. And I, I completely subscribe to that theory as well. But I see, I don't know. Like, there's there's a part of me that thinks the Eagles would have been immune. But then again, it's one of those questions that we will that we will never know. I'm under the impression that nobody was immune from the ring. It was that strong. That even Gandalf. Yeah. yeah well, Gandalf even says... Through me, it would wield a power too great and terrible to imagine. Mm-hmm. So I, I can subscribe to that theory. Well, that was our uh, our uh, nerdy talk. I, I wonder if we lost any listeners during all this. <laughs> it's, uh, it got a it got a little deep in the the nerdiness, especially for people who've never watched Lord of the Rings before. But uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on. I just. Uh, got through the lord of the rings talk so now we can get down to the 
the nitty gritty of mine and yours relationship and how it started, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, uh, we keep teasing it, so might as well just go throw it out there. Um, last November, Connor and I were uh, roommates at a, as they call it, a behavioral hospital. If you don't know what a behavioral hospital is, it's a mental hospital. Um, shout out Silver Oaks and uh, New Lenox, right next to Silver Cross, right off of uh, Route 6 and 355. Mm-hmm. Um, November, I think it was 11th for me, something like that. It was a Tuesday. Um, I mentioned in the, the podcast before that I'm not perfect and I have my lows. And when, my, when I have my lows, they're really fucking low, like rock bottom low. And, uh, I just hit one of them lows last November and it was just one of those things where I had a decision to make, um, similar to what Bilbo did. You know, it's, I can either keep going with how I'm going and I'm eventually, it's eventually going to take my life or I can make a decision now to try to get some help because where I was at on that day, that particular day, that morning, um, I was done. Uh, I wasn't mentally here anymore. I was gone. There was just so much stuff going on in my life. And me personally, so much disappointment in myself as a husband, as a father, as a provider, as a human being, not like help, like doing what I want to do, helping others. Like I just felt done. And, um, I didn't know what else to do. And I, I called Melissa and I talked to her and I told her and she, cause I was, I think it was up in like Elgin applying for jobs. Um, cause I was laid off at the time. Um, and, uh, she's like, well, what, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. I said, I don't want to do anything. I don't, I'm done. And I can only imagine Melissa, what she was going through, what her mind was going through at that time. Her husband calls her and tells her that he's done living like that's that's got to be scary so um i actually at the time i wasn't even thinking about going to the hospital i was just thinking about if i'm gonna make it through the end of the day and uh, melissa was like she was the one that recommended like hey would you would you do you need to go to the hospital and i thought about it and i think i paused for like 20 seconds and i said yeah yeah i can do that and I think if it wasn't for Melissa recommending it, hearing my wife, the the one that I'm supposed to love and care for and protect, say that, it just kind of uh, opened the light for me. So uh, I drove, um, drove to uh, Silver Oaks. I walked in. I'll never forget it. I walked up to the young lady working the front desk. She looked up at me and she's like, can I help you? And I'm like, um... I think I need to be evaluated. And she looked at me kind of confused and she's like, Oh yeah. And she hands me the, the sign in sheet and the lady comes and talks to me, a social worker. She talks to me and she asked me a bunch of questions and uh, what was, it was like a five point question thing, like on a one to five or something like that. And yeah. Yeah. It was like a point system. And if you hit, if you hit, uh, a certain point you would have to be um, 
put into the hospital. And I think the number was 15 and that you had to hit. If you got any higher than a 15, you get put into the hospital. And I think my number was like 22 or 23. Jesus. <laughs> so, so I'm like, what does that mean? She looks at me and she goes, welcome to Silver Oaks. And I said, oh, okay. Um, next thing I know, I was upstairs in the, the men's ward and I was stripped down and I was put into to scrubs because I had to wash my all my clothes, including my underwear. So I was literally sitting in my room with nothing but scrubs on. And um, that night, uh, this guy that looked like Jim Jeffries walked in. <laughs> and that's where your story begins. Well, you, you certainly took the easy way in. You walked into Silver Oaks. I went to the emergency room first because I didn't go. So I walked into the emergency room over cross and uh, told them I was having just, I don't want to go into what kind of thoughts they were, but I, I was having bad thoughts in general. And uh, they, you know, put me in the emergency room. They put me in a, in a room, you know, had me pee in a cup and all this other stuff. Oh yeah. Um, put me in a gown, and uh, they. I was in the. I was in the ER for probably a good six hours, something like that. Wow. And I was in there. I was in there for a good six hours, and uh, they told me that they're like, you know what, we need to move you across the street to Silver Oak so you can get some help. And I'm like, okay. If that's what you guys think is best, then I will go along with what you say. So I called my girlfriend and I told her where I was going. Told her I would call her. And by the time I got into the hospital, I was just not having it. I was just, I was, I was sad because I couldn't see my family. I couldn't see my girlfriend. I was sad because of the thoughts I was having. I was just downtrodden all the way. I just, I didn't know what else to do. So they got me upstairs. I called my girlfriend and I was just sitting there with my, with my robe on and with my underwear on. And then I got put in the room and I cried myself to sleep that night. And I woke up mm-hmm. in the morning and they uh, told me I was moving in with this guy who I didn't know what to make of you at first. I will be, I will be completely honest, Rory. They told me I was moving in with you and I'm like, is this guy going to be okay with me moving in with him? Because he doesn't look like he's very friendly. <laughs> you had this gigantic grim look on your face. I'm like, okay, I'm honest. I'm, I'm, I know where I am. I'm in a behavioral <clears throat> hospital. I'm okay with that part. But this guy, if they move me, if they move me with him, he looks like he's going to be there. <laughs> well, I believe the first, the first person that you were one of the first people I talked to and you actually were nicer than I thought. I'm like, Oh, thank God here with someone else who's not you know completely over the edge if but i believe the one you and i actually like made nice was actually we were playing uh rummy that was the that was our first that was our daily activity was playing friggin rummy yeah i brought rummy to the to the silver oaks and i taught a bunch of people how to play that's my game that's my old lady game that i love to play Hey, God bless that old lady game. That old lady game kept us going. So yeah, yeah, man, I remember that. I, uh, I, didn't, I mean, I didn't know what to make of you either. And uh, I mean, I just, I didn't know what to think of anybody. You know, you go, you go into a mental hospital, you don't know what you're gonna be in for or what else everybody is else in there for. Like, 
Um, it's not, it wasn't my first stint in a mental hospital. I was in one when I was 15. I was in the adolescence ward and I was forced into there. And that's a whole different other story for a different episode. But uh, this time it was like, I'm like, I'm here for a reason and I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to make the best out of it and get out of it what I came in here for. So I didn't want to come in and be judged and or judge others and uh, isolate myself, you know. So I tried my best to uh, put myself out there. And I remember the first night I played Uno with like three other dudes and didn't know any of them. And I just I just played Uno and it was cool. And then, yeah, they had a whole bunch of different uh, mix of uh, mix of playing cards. So I had a fine. I had to separate them and make a full deck and. Yeah, just started bringing on Rummy and, uh, you know, and then Nick came along and God, Nick, <laughs> Nick, actually, if it wasn't for Nick, I never would have associated you with Jim Jeffries because he's the one that brought it up in that one. I forgot uh, about that, to be honest. I did. I forgot that I ever associated me with Jim Jeffries. <laughs> it was like, as soon as he said it, I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> it was just like, it was it. It was over. It was like, you're Jim Jeffries to me now. <laughs> it was just, I never even thought of it until Nick said something. So if you ever get mad at me about it, get mad at Nick because he's the one that broke that glass. I couldn't be mad at Nick. Nick was one of the first people I ever talked to in that place, and you you both made that place bearable for me. So yeah, I couldn't. From what I heard, uh, after we left, all that kumbaya shit kind of went away though, and it was back down to every man for himself. Yeah, which I mean, that's that's the way it is in the hospital, unfortunately. I mean, that's that's the way the cookie crumbles. But yeah, you know. We, we, I think we're kind of a pair of the lucky ones because I'm sure we're the ones who made it out of there with, you know, me, you, Nick, Aaron, shout out Aaron and the rest of the guys, you know, shout out Aaron, Mike, Leo, Matt. God, I don't even know where Matt is these days. Oh, yeah, the kid with the foot. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, damn. Yeah, man, I haven't. Yeah, I mean, I've been in contact with you guys on Facebook. I talk to Leo all the time, um, just movie stuff, you know, and hanging out. But uh, yeah, man, it's crazy. It's almost been a year, and it doesn't feel like it's been a year just because of how crazy this whole entire year has been. But it was definitely something I needed. I mean, I got out when I came out. Like, I almost didn't want to leave. It felt weird leaving, you know, like. Mm-hmm. It was only seven days, but it was like a kinsmanship that we created. And well, we kept. It's one of those things where we kept each other going, and it was. It was, for me, it was a refreshing change of pace. From, you know, I felt like I didn't have anybody, you know, aside from obviously my girlfriend and her parents, yeah, my own family. But it it showed me the fact that, you know, my life was changing in a lot of ways, but at the same time. I had control over how quickly that changed. Mm-hmm. And it showed me that, you know, there are other people out there that are going through just as bad, if not worse things than I'm, than I'm going through and that I need to be grateful that I'm going through what I'm going through because this is just how I grow. Absolutely. And I think, um, one of the reasons why I even started this podcast, why I wanted to start a podcast like this is just to, to remember my experience in the hospital and to remember that everybody has some kind of issue. So everybody has some kind of, whether it's a hardship or a a tragedy or 
just some mental instability. Like everybody's got something and something. And what I learned from being in the hospital for the seven days was that there's always, how do I say that? There's always, the grass is always greener on the other side. I know that's a cliche saying, but it's true because the day I came into the hospital to the day I left seven days, Tuesday to Tuesday, like I was a completely different person because I, I realized that the day I came in, had I not walked into the hospital, I might've killed myself. That's just where I was that, that morning I was at the end of my road. I, I didn't, there was no other direction. There was no right. There was no left. There was no straight. The road was done. And I, the next step was just to take the step off the cliff and end it. So instead of going straight, I turned around and I drove back and I went to Silver Oaks. And so doing that saved my life. And I came out of there seven days later with a new focus on life, a reminder of what I had already. And now I have a new and even uh, a, a newer purpose that was added onto it. And not only that, I had a group of guys that I could always fall on if I needed to, because that's something I felt like I never had. I always felt like I was alone. And, and I mean, God bless Melissa, but she can only take so much of my bullshit. Like, God, man, it's been six years of endless, just bad nights with me. And it's not, it's not, it's not like it's done. It's not like it hasn't happened. Oh shit. It was last week. I, I had a really fucking bad night coming home from work and I have some stuff going on. My dad's got some stuff going on right now that I wasn't handling very well. So like Melissa has been my rock through it all, but I mean, I can't, I can't burden her with everything, you know? So it, it's just coming out of the hospital. I found guys and that's why I want to start this podcast because I want people to hear it and know that there are people out there that care because I personally didn't think anybody cared. I didn't want to burden anybody with my problems. I, I feel horrible even burdening my own wife with it, even though she sees it, she like can literally physically see me just when I'm down and when I'm up, like she knows. So I hate burdening people with my problems, but I want, that's why I, I want people to hear this. And I want people to know that, there's people out there for you. There's people that want to help because for me, for my, my, my example is I've been unhappy and I got to tell you, it fucking sucks. Yep. So I can do my damnedest to do whatever it takes to make sure that other people aren't unhappy, then I'm happy. That's what I want to do. And that's why I'm starting this podcast. And that's why, I mean, yeah, it just happened to fall on the Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings weekend, but I wanted to talk to you first just because I just wanted to get it out there. Like, hey, look at me. Like, I'm not patting myself on the back, but look at this, you know, good looking guy, beautiful wife, beautiful kids, beautiful home. Good job. He's, you know, he's in a union. He's got, he's, he's got union shit. He's got family behind him. He's got everything. But he was in a mental hospital because he wanted to kill himself. Wait a minute. So I just want people to see me and hear me and other people's stories like yours and realize that nobody's perfect and nobody has their life on track with what it needs to be. Nobody's got it going on like they think they do. And there's always stuff behind scenes that nobody knows about. And that's what I want to do here. I want to get people out there and I want people to, to be able to feel comfortable to express themselves. And I want them to know that vulnerability is not unattractive. Well, and- vulnerability vulnerability is powerful to me because if you are willing to accept the fact that you are vulnerable to 
depression, you're vulnerable to suicide, you're vulnerable to drug addiction, to alcohol addiction, to anything. If you can admit that you are vulnerable to that, but I want to get help, you are stronger than you fucking think. And that's what I want everybody to hear me say, because I've been so fucking scared to let anybody know that I want to kill myself every once in a while. And it's just, it's one of those things that nobody's alone. Nobody's alone because I'm still alive. If I'm still alive and there's millions of other like me, then nobody is alone. Oh, and, and I, to base off of that too, I mean, I, you're talking to a guy who used to be involved in with a lot of drugs and with a lot of, you know, yep. a lot of the time. And, you know, it took a bad hit of acid to really, to really put that in perspective for me. And as a result, you know, it, it happened at the worst possible time. I had what they called an ego death mm. and it really kind of jostled my brain up. And at the time that all that happened was around the same time that I found out my girlfriend was pregnant with our baby and it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, yeah. it, just, it sent my brain in a really bad direction. Like there were some really bad thoughts around in my head and going to Silver Oaks kind of put it in perspective of, you know, this is what's important to me right now is the fact that I'm around for my daughter. I'm around for my girlfriend. I'm around for everybody around me, because if I do these things that, you know, my head is is telling me that I'm going to regret it later on and it's going to come back and I'm going to end up somewhere where I shouldn't be. And it's it really has been one of those roads where I've I've had to come to terms with the with the idea that I do have an anxiety disorder. I mm-hmm. have the means to treat it. I have the means to get help. I have people there who love me and I have people who want to see me do well. So this is my opportunity. And it, I really do see it as a divine opportunity to set the record straight and to do right by the people who want to see me do right by them. Absolutely. A hundred percent. hundred percent. And I think, uh, knowing that there's people that are counting on us is just a great motivator, but also not, I mean, I don't even know, like, you, you see your kids, like you got your daughter. I got my two boys. We're watching them grow up. They're blossoming in front of our eyes. And I get mad at myself sometimes because I'm like, why in the million years would I ever want to leave them? Why would my mind let me get to the point to where I wanted to take my own life and leave them fatherless, leave my wife husbandless, leave whatever people who I don't know if I'm friends with people like why would I ever do that and I get mad at myself but I have to remember like it's like that it's that it's that thing it's like it's not you it's not you yeah it's an illness it's a hundred percent it's an illness and I don't care what anybody says like I hate when people say um I don't hate it because it's more of an ignorant thing but people say like oh how did he die oh he killed himself I don't say that. I don't say people died from suicide. I say I I say people died from depression. Yeah. Because when someone dies from cancer, you don't say, oh, they died because their heart stopped beating or they died because their liver finally gave out. No, they died from cancer. So if somebody's depressed and depressed enough to where they take their own life, they died from depression because it's an illness. 
And it's something that I have to remember that I have. And it actually, if it wasn't for my counselor, I probably, for one, never even um, gotten, I mean, I mean, I've been seeing my counselor for 15 or for 12 years now, since I was 15 years old. And it wasn't until like three weeks before I checked into the hospital that he finally broke through to me that taking medicine was okay. And the way he worded it, it was just so like, it was just one of those sessions with him that I just got deep and like, I was just sad and like, I just didn't know what to do anymore. And he finally, he, he recommend, now he never even recommended it. He just brought it up in a conversation, taking medicine and antidepressants, you know? And I just remember I put my hands, I put my head in my hands. I just felt low and he goes, what are you thinking? And I said, it just sucks that I have to take medicine to be happy. And then he looked at me dead in my eyes and he says, yeah, it does. But it also sucks that I have to take medicine because of my diabetes. And that was it. I, I it, it just never had been like given to me in such a way. And I was just like, fuck, man. I was like, God, I've been preaching forever that depression is an illness and and I just I feel so hypocritical because I've been refusing the medicine because I thought it was a weakness, right? And I it took my counselor, man. I it, it, it's, you know that's why I go to him. And I'm like, all right. So I made an appointment. He recommended a doctor. I made an appointment. I planned on going. A week, two weeks later, not even a week, like a week later, I I hit a low and I ended up in the hospital. And I got medic and I got my medicine a week earlier. So, I mean. It's just, it's one of those things, man, that you might, might think that it's, it, it's, uh, you might be judged by ignorant people who just don't know, but mental health isn't something to be judged. It's, it's just, it's a part of life for a lot of people. And I just want to let anybody who has ears, who, who wants, who wants to help, who who quietly, who closetly wants to talk about it, but just feel scared. I want them to be not afraid. I want them to come, even if you don't want to even come on the show, even if you just want to come talk to me privately in a message or on a phone call or something, it's fine. That's what I'm here for, dude. Like, that's what I'm doing this. I don't, I'm not doing this because I want people to hear me talk. I'm doing this because I want to fucking help people because I'm tired of just living my life unfulfilled knowing that I want to fucking do something to help somebody because I know what it's like to be in that low point. And I don't want that for anybody. And I don't want to just waste my time. I'm 27. I know I'm still young, but I'm wasting time here. And I want people to know, and I need people to know that they're not alone. I they're not alone sure with that. And I feel like, I feel like mental health is one of those things that so often gets brushed under the table when people talk about it, they, they'll talk about somebody being depressed or somebody being anxious or somebody being, um, what's the word like psychotic. And, but the, the thing is crazy, crazy in, in, in people's, in other people's terms, when they look at anxious or psychotic, they look at somebody who they think is a serial killer or someone who they Mm -hmm. is, you know, a, a a murderer or, or someone who's dangerous. And it's not that that person is dangerous. I mean, for fuck's sake, I'm, I take an anti-psychotic, I'm just anxious. And it's one of those things that 
people brush it brush it aside because they're like, oh, it's just, that's just being crazy. That's just being that's just being crazy. It's not just being crazy. It's an actual illness. It's a problem. And the the problem there's a line that Jay Z said recently, and I I I took this to heart is you have to deal with your trauma or your trauma will deal with you. And I, I feel that in my soul because there's a lot of trauma that I didn't even realize that I had to still deal with that really hit me to the core and caused man and now manifest itself as my mental disorder as the fact that I do have an anxiety disorder. I do have depression. I do have OCD. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, all those things work in concert to try and bring me down when, you know, the fact of the matter is I'm doing just fine. And to piggyback off what you said about Jay-Z, I mentioned last episode that NF, the rap artist, he's my guy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why is because he does deal with very similar stuff that we do. He's been diagnosed with OCD, just, uh, obsessive compulsive. Like he take, I, I don't know if he takes medicine. He sings, he says in his songs that he doesn't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm going to, I'm not going to assume anything, but I know that he deals with a lot of stuff, including depression and suicidal thoughts. And he said in one of his songs, he, he has one quick line and it resonates with me because as soon as I heard it, I said, yep, that's it. That's, that's me. And the what he said was he's talking about his suicidal thoughts and what he says that I don't want to die. I just want to get relief. And that hit me like a shit ton of bricks because that's it. I don't want to die. I don't want to leave my boys. I don't want to leave my wife. I don't want to leave this fucking world, especially since I've done anything yet. But God damn it. I'm in a lot of fucking pain and I just need to do something to relieve myself. And if this is something that helps me, if, Going to the gym is what helps me if writing, reading, you know, fucking whatever. I just got to do something because the alternative is not okay. The alternative is never going to happen. Right. Well, and and it's, it's the same with me. Like, that's why I've turned to, like, soccer has been my absolute saving grace since, you know, since all this started. Because the one thing I am good at is number one, I can read the game really well. Number two, it's given me something to focus on is the fact that, you know, I can see where players fit in. I can see where coaches fit in. I can see all these different points of analysis that I can use my brain to, and it distracts me from these terrible, terrible thoughts that my brain throws out. So it's a lot of mental health is just, you know, you got to change your mindset. You know, you got to change that mindset of, you know, I'm in, I'm in pain a lot of the time and you got to find a way to alleviate that, whether that's getting help from a counselor, whether that's getting medicine, whether that's simply finding a way to refocus yourself, you know, that's all the things you got to focus on and try and try and bring into practice. And it's difficult. And trust me, there are days where, you know, I have my good days and I have my bad days, but I will say this much, the, the good days are starting to become more and more and the bad days are starting to become less and less. Yes, yes. And that's what it's about. Because we have to remember too, like, it's not always going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be never strive to have just good days. Because you need those fucking bad days. Because without the bad days, you're not going to know what's a good day. Right. So you can have five or six good days in a row. But if you have one bad day, that's okay. 
because you have all those good days to work for, to strive for, to remember and know that, you know what, it's not always going to be like this. This bad day, it's a passing thing. Just like Sam fucking said, it's a passing thing. A new day will come. Right. And that's huge. It's, 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 a, it, it's a mindset to just remind yourself, to constantly remind yourself that this too shall pass. This too shall pass. And that's been a huge proclamation for myself. I think it's biblical. I'm pretty sure, you know, but I, that, not, that's not for me. But the, the actual quote, this too shall, shall pass, has gotten me through so much hardship and so much just pain, unrelenting pain. Just this too shall pass. Even if I'm, I've actually, I'm pretty sure I've cried in, you know, curled up in a fetal position on the floor, rocking back and forth crying to myself this too shall pass this too shall pass this too shall pass because it is it's just it's a temporary thing it's a passing thing yep the shadow this this darkness it's not here forever guys i don't care if you think it's not i don't care if you think it is i don't care if it looks like you don't see any light anywhere in your in your future there's always light there's always light you just got to find it and sometimes you need someone there to help you find it. Sometimes you need a guide. Sometimes you do need a golem or a schmeagle, even if they do turn on you. Just know that you will find that light, and it's there. You just got to look for it. It's not always going to be dark. It's going to pass, guys. It's just that's just how it is, and that's how this this evil shit goes. It's not strong. It just has the appearance of being strong. We're stronger. We are human fucking beings. We are... We we came from sperm and seed. We're stronger than any evil that can be thrown at us. We're stronger than any depression, any kind of suicidal thought, any kind of mental disorder, any kind of addiction, any kind of abandonment, any kind of, you know, if anything. Anything. Indeed. All it is, it's just a front. It ain't shit. It just, it finds your, your vulnerabilities and it, it just pinpoints it. We just got to remember that it's going to pass. And it's not here to stay. You're here to stay. The evil's not. I can 100% agree with that. So, all right. Well, I think uh, I think that's a good place to uh, end it up with. Um, I mean, I definitely have to get you on sometime. Absolutely. Uh, sometime again, we can talk just to catch up, see how things are going. Um, yeah, November, we'll do the, you know, I'll try to get you guys on from the hospital for like the one year reunion type thing. Um, I'd love to hear what Nick has to say. Uh, he's a funny guy. He'll make us all laugh. But, uh, uh, man, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the hell out of you. Uh, you know, you, you, you've only been in my life for like 10 months now, but you have a huge impact and I'm glad I can have someone to talk about Lord of the Rings intelligently and, you know, I just, I appreciate it, man. First guest on my podcast, hopefully more to come. Yes. Um, but yeah, man, if, uh, if you want, let anybody who has ears, if you have, you know, anybody you, you share them, you, sh- you send them this podcast, you let them hear, hear your story, hear my story, hear everybody else's stories, man. Can do man. And, uh, fucking, uh, tell your, tell everybody, all the listeners, if they want to follow you, where they can find you on the social medias. Absolutely. Uh, if you want to talk to if you want to talk to me or need to message me, my last name is Provenzali, P R O 
V is in Victor, E N Z is in Zebra, A L E. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, my ad is Connor1023, C O N O R 1023. And it's the same for Twitter. So I am on the Twitter. So just uh, <laughs> if anybody wants to hit me up on there, tweet at me. If you want to talk on Instagram, shoot me a DM. I'm always open to talk to new people, man. So. All right, man. I appreciate it. Uh, went longer than I thought it would, but I'm glad it was a good talk, man. I'm, I'm thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, man. You have a good night. Take care of that girl. Yep. All right, see ya. Later. Thanks again to my buddy Connor for coming on with me tonight to uh, talk about his story, uh, talk about where he's come from, and uh, also just diving into uh, one of the greatest movie franchises of all time. Um, so tonight I wanted to uh, end the episode with the inspirational quote um, straight from the movie, uh, straight from the real hero of the story, Samwise the Brave, um, Samwise Gamgee. Uh, he just kind of breaks it down for everybody. And I think in today in 2020 with where the world is right now, uh, where everybody is at, uh, I think everybody needs to listen to Samwise. So I'll, uh, I'll give it away to him. We shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frugal. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow, even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Furrow, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? But there's some good in this world, Mr. Furl. And it's worth fighting for. So there it is, straight from the hero's mouth. Samwise Gamgee, Samwise the Brave. Couldn't have said it any better, buddy. Um, you're the real hero of this story, the real hero of this journey. 
and what you said I feel like anybody can find something in there and take it home with them and uh, get something out of it because especially right now with how the world is going there's a lot of darkness going around there's a lot of shadows and it doesn't seem like they're gonna pass it doesn't seem like this is a passing thing that a new day won't come I know it feels like this guys I know there seems like there's a darkness around you and it doesn't seem like any light will ever come out. I know it seems like there's no hope for a f bright future. I, I know it looks like there's no light anywhere. I know it seems as if this is how your life's gonna be for the rest of your days. But I'm asking you, no, I'm telling you, remember, always remember that this darkness is just a passing thing. And that there is some good left in this world. And it's worth fighting for. Good night, everybody.